Welcome to The Q, Conversations in Digital Media. This podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media, digital campaign execution and optimization since 2004. Our next episode is queued up and ready to roll. Thank you for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Q Conversations in Digital Media. Uh, just had a great conversation today with Tracy Arrington. She is a professor at UT and also uh, SVP of, with Brain Trust Partners. And it was just a great time to get a chance to talk to her. And honestly, your head might be spinning just a tad after this podcast, after listening to it. She has so much detail on the data analytics side of things. Um, from aggregating data and how branders and and uh, agencies are, are using this data or maybe not utilizing this data. Um, and with her tenure at UT, she's doing a great program and taking kids overseas into China uh, for a six-week program to really teach them about how to be agnostic and nonlinear with their approach and thinking about how to utilize data and how to apply that to marketing. So great conversation we had with them. Uh, actually, Brain Trust partners, uh, her and Tim, are actually starting a podcast, so be on the lookout for that too. But this has been a great conversation. We hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, this is The Cue. All right, Tracy, thank you for joining us here in The Cue. Uh, we're in the Longhorn Room, so hopefully that's uh, uh, the colors are nice here because I know you're a Longhorn. The best room in the building. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. Thanks for coming in. And, and sorry if we're like in a hot box here. I feel like we're heating you out right now. This is going to become a sauna. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> AC heat issues. It's supposed to be 100 and something degrees today. So in Austin, it's, it's, it's not going to be easy for, for anybody out there. Um, so you're from, uh, where are you from? I guess, where'd you grow up? I am a military brat. Really? So I, I really didn't grow up anywhere. Um, I spent, uh, my father was uh, a career Air Force officer. And so we spent time uh, in Texas, in Nebraska, Alabama, New Mexico. And I spent middle school and the better part of high school in Hawaii, which was just terrible. I mean, just <laughs> just terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's a really terrible spot to end up. I know it's expensive though, right? I mean, everybody says it's it's really expensive out there, but um, to be stationed there, I guess, what, what uh, island was it? On Oahu, Oahu. in Honolulu. Oh, nice. And it is a pricey place to be, but you don't really need a lot when you can spend all day outside on the beach, on a patio. Um, not as much need for material things, yeah. I think, when you're when you're living on an island. Is it as as chill or as easygoing as everybody says it is to live there? Or Ab- it, yes, yeah. absolutely. There's a different pace. Uh, business moves at a different pace. School moves at a different pace. There's uh, a, l- a lot more time and attention paid to life and the enjoyment of it. That's good. So uh, wait, do you have siblings uh, or is it just, just you or... I have a younger sister. Younger sister. Uh, she's amazing. She's uh, Dr. Catherine Arrington, who works for the Dana Center at UT. Um, her specialty is mathematics, so she's literally shaping the future of education, specifically as it relates to mathematics, uh, not just here but around the world. She's oh, wow. pretty incredible. Well, you both have that gene of educating because you're a professor at UT, 
And now I, I, I think you, what, I just read you're going to China in 2020. I is am. that a mainstay thing? How long are you going to be there? You're going to be, what, 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 what is the reason for going over there? So I've, I've been teaching at Texas for, this will be my sixth year, uh, in the Stan Richards School of Advertising and PR. I teach media investments, uh, typically every, every spring and fall semester. Um, so really, uh, the art of negotiation, uh, metrics and analytics associated with investments in media of any type, both online and offline. Um, like my sister and, and the balance of my family, we're pretty much a bunch of uh, math geeks. Uh, we love the numbers. You love Excel spreadsheets. We love spreadsheets. We love the numbers. Uh, we believe that data has um, so many stories to tell, um, whether it's in education uh, or in, in branding and media. And uh, I was given the opportunity to expand the program, uh, the Texas Media Program, which is top rated, proud to say top rated. It's been 20 years in the making, uh, but really building future leaders in, in our industry. And I was given the chance to, at an international element, had great conversations with our uh, director, Joanne Ciarino, who is fabulous, um, and the Texas media director, Lisa Tobias, about the future of media, what it, what it means, and what students coming out of Texas need in order to secure global positions earlier and, and really influence the business, not just here in the U.S., but globally. China is such a powerhouse. Um, they have such a unique view on data and analytics. We'll take uh, politics to the side, yeah. um, which you have to from, from an academic standpoint, but just to study um, how they use data, how brands exist, um, global brands like Procter & Gamble and, and Unilever, um, how they do business differently in the Western world versus in China. Um, and it really does boil down to, to data and how that's used. Um, what, what do they do differently? Or how is there anything specifically or one thing you can go, well, they might take this a little bit differently than the way American uh, companies do? Uh, the primary difference is uh, the presence of the government when it comes to uh, accumulating, aggregating um, data points, uh, which is not done at the, at the same, in the same way um, in the Western world. Uh, it's, it's is a, it more it's, restricted in the Western world, or is it opposite? Well, there's uh, consumer data privacy is of utmost concern to most in the West. Um, you see GDPR in Europe. You see the California Consumer Privacy Act um, that will get its teeth in January. We, we have pending legislation in that space in more than a dozen states. Um, it's, it's going to escalate. But in, under a communist, uh, in a communist country, you don't have those concerns. Um, so from an academic standpoint, it's, it's fascinating. Um, but we're working with Ogilvy and Mather uh, to build a brand marketing and analytics program that will house in Shanghai next year. Um, it'll be a six week long program. I'll take 30 students from the University of Texas to Shanghai and immerse them um, working alongside some of the top uh, brands uh, technology leaders, uh, and really let them see how things are done um, in China. That's which, exciting. How do I sign up? <laughs> I would love to go it's to It's really weeks fast. Weekend. Just enroll at UT, become admitted. Um, it's that easy. It's, it's, you know, it's a breeze. Um, we're excited about it, and it will be... Um, 
it will be the first time that students on campus outside of Moody College of Communication um, can gain access to some of our analytics curriculum, um, which is, you know, part of a conversation we have regularly, the uh, how subject matters coming together, computer science, business, communication, it's, it's critical. And we're excited to be able to offer students that opportunity. Oh, that's exciting. And, and the need for that for kids, like you said, to be prepared globally, to find jobs, it's gotten that much more competitive. Having the UT diploma has always been great, but mm-hmm. that's not everything now. It's, it's shocking how the past 20, 30 years getting a college tuition or excuse me, college diploma has not really solidified you getting a job now, which I guess you went to UT back in the 90s. Uh, I mean, you can, what are the differences between? Don't get specific, James. I'm not, no, 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 not at all, not at all. Um, That was a good year. Those were good, great, great, great decade for UT. Uh, But yeah, how has it changed? And you went through the program at UT and now kids are going through it. I mean, is it that much more difficult for students to come out and be more prepared and find that job? I I think it is. Uh, When I was in school, uh, I was actually a graduate of the very first cohort from the Texas Media Program. So a a program that you had to apply to and and gain entry to um, beyond just admission to the College of Communication or or the School of Advertising and PR. And at that time, Texas asked the question of industry, what do you need our students to know? And at that time, students would come out of school and have to spend a minimum of two years just learning the language of media and learning, I mean, the acronyms for Pete's sake are endlessly long, GRPs, TRPs, all of it. Um, And Texas was very bold in asking the question, um, you know, how do we enable our students to contribute day one instead of two years and day one? And the industry responded very well. So in in my tenure at Texas, there was a lot of sitting around conference tables in class and saying, well, what what do we need to learn today? And having an industry professional come in and say, we need you to be able to calculate cost per points and we need you to be able to look at qualitative data alongside ratings information, which is the precursor to what we know now. as far as behavioral and, and demographic indices. And things have changed quite a bit. Um, with the onset of technology, it's really escalated uh, that entire process. And it's, it's difficult for students um, because in our, in our industry, your GPA really doesn't mean much. I mean, obviously, if, if you come out of school with a, a 1.2, that's a red flag. But, you know, employers want to know how you think, and are you curious, and can you be uncomfortable and embrace that? Because our industry is not going to slow down, it's only going to get faster. And a big reason for going to China is forcing students to learn to think in a nonlinear fashion, to question why are you doing anything the way you're doing it? Can it be automated? Can it be streamlined? Uh, can it be approached in a different manner? Um, the days of, well, this is how we've always done it, are over. Um, and I think brands are 
really struggling with that right now of how to move from a current state into a state of future, future readiness. It's a question everyone needs answered. Um, we also add compliance questions, um, ethics questions, operational questions. So we need young people coming out of school to be malleable and to, to know how to think. So theory, practice, um, but really more than anything, a mindset to how do you move forward? How do you help brands move forward, cities move forward? Um, how do you help yourself move forward? Yeah, it's the traditional side of things too. When when you know I entered in the space, which was not even that long ago, but in the in 2010, and still there was that mindset of hey, this is the this is the recipe to a successful campaign. Um, you, know, you have your GRPs, whatever it is, radio, TV, traditional advertising. Um, and while it was great to learn all that, because I think there's a creative side and there is sort of that like three prong approach that they might have, you know, the funnel and all that stuff. Well, you throw all the digital data in the mix and it just it turns it up on upside down on its head. But it's still good to know that stuff. So you still have to, I would assume, teach them all the things that you knew and you, what you learned growing up, but then you have to go on top of that on like, hey, the second half of this session's all data and how do we apply that data to still run a successful branding campaign or whatever it is that the, the say a big call to action campaign for any brand, it's insane. I teach my students and I also teach my clients and my, my primary role at Brain Trust to ask the right questions. Uh, data has always been available for offline media, um, as it is for online media. Obviously, the volume and velocity of data online is much more robust. But there has always been information available. The question is, are you asking the right questions? Are you aggregating the right numbers? Are you leveraging them in a way that's useful? Um, can you use that data to model for the future? Can you recall that all data is from the past? Right, Even if it's aggregated 10 minutes ago, it's still in the past. So balancing that with intuition and experience to craft a plan or a strategy for the future. So that's, that's difficult to do, uh, especially with the volume of data we have available to us now. Uh, we find brands paralyzed with the amount of data they have. Um, and it's typically housed in different silos, so it's not especially useful. And whether it's a student or a brand leader, they tend to have the same questions, regardless of their experience level. Like how, what are we supposed to do with this? Like what are how? we supposed to do mm -hmm. with this? And uh, from a brand standpoint, moving beyond media metrics and tying any kind of communication to a business outcome. So not asking, did I achieve my engagements? Did I achieve my impression, my stated impression goal? But what does that mean to the business? And encouraging conversations between people who haven't typically spoken to one another or worked alongside one another. If, if you are a, a, a brand or a business, your CMO and your CIO should know one another really well and if they don't they should start right this minute yeah, 15 years ago <laughs> absolutely um having people who work with technology and people who work in marketing and even operations 
um, or go even further, finance, every element of your business um, is impacted by technology. And those conversations need to be conducted with everyone at the table in order for you to really find that success. Yeah, I think that's something that I think what you just said is encouraging to people who think that we're all just going to be automated robots taking all the jobs is you still do need that person to to analyze the data and put it to use. And I don't know if there's some robot AI that's being configured that will do that one day, and I can't say that there won't, <laughs> but you still do need people that <clears throat> can understand the data and, and apply it. Um, like you said, which I think it sounds like that's the main focus of your students is just getting them prepared to understand, read the data like it's a language and and be able to evaluate it and put a proper plan together. Absolutely. Which is exciting. Uh, so I guess from, you got your start on the media buying side. Um, I know you've got an interesting story with the way you started out straight out of college. Uh, you worked for GSDM here in Austin. Uh, one of the bigger agencies, but at the time it was a rapid growth period. It sounds like um, they kind of maybe threw you to the to the wolves. <laughs> it was a wild time. Uh, GSTNM was um, an up and coming company at the time, uh, considered a maverick in in the industry. Um, really, just doing things differently, and they were very bold. Um, their creative team was phenomenal. Um, the media, the folks involved in media were um, very early into uh, the, the possibilities in the digital space, and it was a phenomenal place to be. Um, I was very young, and it was, it was like the Wild West. So uh, they were acquiring business, significant business, um, left and right, you know, the onboarding of Southwestern Bell that became SBC, that eventually became AT&T. Um, DreamWorks, the entertainment business is is the Wild West in and of itself. But it's a great time to have that too. Laun- it was not as big as it is now, but it's massive. But launching films like Shrek, mm-hmm. which are icons of our culture at this point. Um, We worked with Walmart. We worked with BMW, with Land Rover. Um, There was an endless list of brands that are bucket list brands uh, to work with. And it was crazy. It was a little bit wild, but, um, but it was wonderful. And you worked all day. You worked, sometimes you worked all night. Um, But the opportunities presented in that environment are are rare. So I was very fortunate to be right place at the right time. And I spent nearly a dozen years there um, learning from some of the, the best marketers um, and brand leaders on the planet. It was it was amazing. Was there a shift during that time? Especially I know digital you sounds like they were on the forefront mm-hmm. of anything uh, digital. But what was kind of the big buzzword around digital when you first started? I don't know. What was the, what was it, Google? Or I don't know, was it back then? I don't know. What, what, what was it? Well, no one said online. Everyone said internet advertising. Um, this was before the IAB was in place. So there were really no standards. We were managing site lists. So it was a battle of of site lists and and who was on your list, um, which is so different uh, from how we function today. Um, But 
literally iterating ad units for every site you chose to be on, you know, site direct heavy, um, which drove the creative department crazy. Yeah. You thought direct mail and out of home had too many iterations. Then you, you need 35 different ad units to be delivered as part of an ad package. Uh, there were more than one uh, grumbles coming out of the creative department at that point. Um, but it really was um, fascinating more than anything else. I don't think anyone could really pinpoint the impact that it would have, um, but it was really a shiny object at that point when it was, when it was young. Um, we're online. Um, we're on the internet, and, and that was a feather in the cap of a, a brand marketer because it showed that they were risky and, and cutting edge. But like with most shiny objects, you didn't really know how that would impact your business. Um, was it difficult to get brands to buy in to being online back then? Shockingly, it's, it's difficult to get certain brands to... to commit to being online today, which shocks me. Um, I, I will say the most meaningful um, engagement I had was with MasterCard, who really stepped forward in their category to say, we believe in the future of e-commerce. And they didn't use the word e-commerce at that point, but unlike their competitors, they said, we believe this will be the future. So we are making a commitment to be online, to, to uh, put a lot of money and energy around transacting and, and buying things online. And a lot of people shook their head and said, that will never happen. No one will ever enter a credit card into the interwebs. They will never do it, right? And MasterCard was so bold to say, we disagree and we're doing this. And so they made a commitment um, to be online early, and that was inspiring. And, you know, talking about nonlinear thinking um, to really blow up the concept of how business is done and to recognize that this was going to be a way to connect people in a way we'd never seen before. So that was... That was exciting to be a part of. Sounds like a good client to have. They were a great client. <laughs> Tough as can be, but really inspiring. Well, and like you said, they analyze things, and they're always going to be looking and asking those tough, difficult questions. But I think that that's never changed within the digital space. I think still today with new technologies and new ways to target people and the consumers, uh, there's got to be you know, at least 15 questions to one tactic, <laughs> whatever it is. And it's like, wait, I don't understand this. I got to, it's basically you're an educator instead mm -hmm. of, you know, somebody who's supplying just goods. You're really educating these people because they don't understand it. And, you know, half the time when you're speaking, you're like, wait, I'm trying to convince myself <laughs> how it works. I spoke to a client just this morning who said, I do my very best to keep up but I feel like I fall behind. And, you know, if you spend any time uh, in Silicon Valley um, meeting with people who are on the edge of technology, um, it's very evident that as fast as this has gone, it's going faster. And it's going to go even faster than that as we move forward. And it is a full-time job 
just to tread water to keep up with the capabilities of technology. We're, we are, in my work with Brain Trust, um, we're helping brands, enterprise level brands, have in some cases 200 different data inputs, right? From a CRM, a point of sale system, you have geographic data from beacons in, in brick and mortar stores, you have social, um, you know, it's so much information. But we're seeing options now where you can remove schemas from all of that data, aggregate it, unify it, deduplicate it, build singular customer records, which, in my opinion, fuels the power of programmatic media, fuels a direct-to-consumer model, fuels a one-to-one -one relationship. Um, in personalizing communication. And when I say media now, I'm not just talking about programmatic display and TV and, and out of home. It's every single touch point with a consumer and how do you build that relationship. We're looking at blockchain being the future of business. And under that system, you may not ever know who your customers are. So if you aren't building that relationship now, you will be left behind. And those types of conversations seem a little alarmist and a little bit scary, but they, they're, they're, they can't be kicked down the road any further. Yeah. They can't be shelved any longer. We're here. And if you haven't started to have this conversation, you need to because you're behind. For those people who are out there, like, I don't know what she just said. <laughs> it's like, what, what, explain to people what blockchain is and how, why that is significant to the way business is going to be run um, going forward. So blockchain, different from cryptocurrency, right, which is what people typically yeah. think blockchain is, um, it's basically... Um, well, it's a lot of things. Um, but it's hard for, to nail down. <laughs> it's, it's hard to put it in, in a nutshell. Um, but basically, it's a system where you can transact um, anonymously. It basically distributes information in a way that uh, virtually eliminates fraud, um, eliminates a lot of the primary business concerns uh, that we have today in when it comes to fraud and transparency and basically makes uh, conducting business more streamlined and, and more transparent. So it's, it's a challenge for um, government currencies. Um, it's a challenge for the way commerce um, and economies are structured today. Mm -hmm. um, it enables a truly global um, commerce set, which yeah. is frightening to a lot of people. Um, you, you see Facebook coming out announcing Libra, um, which is Facebook's uh, concept of currency. And you see our government issuing requests to Facebook to please stop pursuing this. Um, because it's so disruptive um, to world economies. And we'll see what happens. Yeah, I guess that's, it's very interesting because, you know, the power has naturally been with the government and they mm -hmm. control that. And now you have these private entities or in some cases with blockchain, it's it's really a 
just a system. That's right. It's not one person that's that's, right. that's owning this currency or the way that businesses run. But for a company like Facebook, do do consumers really want Facebook to own that 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 medium or a uh, currency? I guess. Well, and I think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, I think consumers want to weigh in, but they don't have all the information. It's a pretty complex subject. I know, my brain hurt with you just explaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I don't even know that that was um, a thorough explanation, but it's, it's complicated. And there are concepts that even people that are in business and in industry, in finance, um, don't thoroughly understand. I'm certainly not a blockchain expert by any stretch, but... Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the world is changing, and that sounds melodramatic to say, but it's true. And, uh, you know, these, we like to say technology is something that happens to you, whether you like it or not. So sticking your head in the sand and saying, well, I just don't like it, it's not really a solution. It's coming whether you like it or not. So, um love to encourage people to consider um, becoming future ready. And um, I have to say I laugh at people who say, we're going to make you future proof because there's no such thing. There's absolutely who no such that? thing. <laughs> More people than I can count. Um, I have a lot of clients who show me proposals that they've received um, from consultants or, or, or from agencies or businesses that says, we're going to future-proof your business. And I just have to laugh because none of us knows. And you, you said just a moment ago, you know, a robot might take my job. And, and the truth is, it might. Because if you, if you have a task that you do more than three times a week, I promise you it can be automated right now. And it's not a scary thing. It's an amazing thing to move mundane tasks off your desk and allow you as a, as a human to focus on strategy um, and, and guidance, that's amazing. Um, so encourage people not to see it as a threat, but as an opportunity. Um, and also a lot of jobs of the future, we can't describe today. We don't know that they will eventually exist, but they will. So there will be quite a bit of opportunity. And remember that computers and algorithms and robots and all of it, they're basically toddlers, right? You can't just leave them unattended mm -hmm. and let them run willy-nilly. They need a lot of guidance um, to remove bias, to remove um, all kinds of nasty things if left unchecked because they just don't know. Still computers. As smart as they are, they're still computers. Yeah, I mean it's well said. I mean even the media industry, especially the digital side, programmatic, has gone through those growing pains. Mm -hmm. Ten, fifteen years ago, there was a massive fraud, you know, out outbreak, <laughs> and that was like the fraud era. And now they've sort of gotten it down to you know where we are today. Um, do, with data changing. And, and people being more aware, you mentioned that, as people aren't aware, but they're becoming more aware. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you, you see the industry changing quite a bit in the next few years? I mean, is that is that something where um, there might be limitations to the targets that brands and agencies are able to go after right now, currently? I, I think it's... It's going to be a hot topic of conversation for um, for a long time to come. GDPR is still very young in Europe, but has already completely changed 
um, how business is done in the digital space over there. How so? Is um, it like, is it because they're having difficulty finding their, their core audience that they're trying to go after? Or is it... Well, there are limitations on how you can aggregate data and how you can target consumers. And consumers are given a lot of power to be able to ask questions. What type of data are you gathering? How are you using it? And they also have been given the power to say, delete my data now. And they can do it on any website or it, there has to be like a prompt or something yes. that, that comes yes. up. So, um, and you, you're seeing fines coming out of Europe, a billion dollar fine for Facebook, um, many other fines for Facebook, Google being fined, taken to court. Um, and it's, you know, the fundamental nature of Facebook and Google, they're data companies. And without leveraging that data, they're in a rough spot. Um, but I think they're so large now that it's difficult to imagine uh, them being completely removed from the ecosystem. They won't be, um, but you look at... It wouldn't be good for the world. Well, it, it, <laughs> you know, you think the conversation about Amazon, how large Amazon is. If you dismantled Amazon completely right now, yes, obviously Amazon would be damaged, but there would be tens of thousands of small businesses, small and medium-sized businesses that would be crippled if not destroyed if Amazon went away, right? So there are a lot of questions around consumer data privacy. Um, and one of the biggest problems we see is that with enterprise level brands that have so many data inputs, you have Bob, let's say, let's take Bob, right? Bob is a nice guy. He does business with his favorite hotel chain. Well, when he is online, he's Bob right? But when he's using the app, when he's on the website, he's Bob. When he's using the app, he's Robert. He books rooms under his corporate card, Robert I. Smith. He books rooms on his personal card, Bob Smith. He's got an email address from college, Bobby Wildman at yahoo.com. Probably he's Hotmail or something like that. <laughs> Yahoo or Hotmail. Um, he's got his his business email address, you know, bob at corporate.com. Um, so you have all of these different customer records. And the truth is, when Bob raises his hand and says, what information do you have on me? That hotel chain says, well, we have these three records on you, Bob. And he says, great, delete them. And they do. They delete Bob and they delete uh, Robert but they don't recognize that Robert I. Smith and Bob Smith are just Bob also. So without having all of your information in order, you are non-compliant when Bob says delete my data, which is an issue already in Europe, will become an issue, an enforceable issue in California in January, um, and that won't be the end of it. Right, and it's a struggle for brands in the U.S. because there isn't a federal, there aren't federal guidelines in place. So to have to comply and manage information on a state by state basis is pretty cumbersome and expensive for brands. Um, so that's a challenge that will need to be solved. Yeah, I mean California alone, when that goes in January first next year, it's going to be something brands are going to have to consider. That's right. <laughs> Just like a separate California strategy. That's right. Which is insane. Right. And, and 
even enterprise level businesses uh, aren't interested in outlaying the amount of money it's going to take to truly be compliant uh, on a state-by-state -state basis. So there'll be a lot of change. And uh, there is uh, a burden placed on, on the brands to be more transparent and to have that information at the ready when a consumer raises their hand. Um, but back to our point earlier about asking the right questions, um, consumers oftentimes don't want to know, right? Because knowing causes uh, an issue in your mind because then you have to make a choice. I'm sacrificing this privacy, this information in exchange for this convenience. And oftentimes if you are hooked on the convenience, think of all the apps you have on your phone. If you were to delete all of them, and your convenience disappears. Or turn off your location service. What does is, what is your life look like? Yeah. And many people are uh, prefer to just, you know, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, and just not think about it. And that's frightening to me because you see data breaches, you see bot farms, um, not just in Russia, but in China and in Japan um, and all over the world and um, cyber wars, <laughs> cyber wars, um, back to, back to sounding alarmist, but um, you can pay people who run bot farms to push content for you for $6 an hour, six us dollars an hour. And that kind of cyber terrorism and cyber warfare is not going to slow down. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you're a business, you can be held hostage. Um, if you're an individual, you know, forget worrying, worry about entering your credit card number online. You can find virtually any piece of information you want, yeah. um, without a whole heck of a lot of training. Yeah. And it goes all the way down to the consumer side and influencers now who, uh, you can buy a million views on a video that you might have posted on YouTube and take this video to some corporate entity and say, Hey, I'm, I've got a lot of views. I've got a lot of followers. I got tons of people who are, are here watching me and kind of just fraud your way into becoming, you know, the next YouTube sensation or star or influencer. It's, it's insane that that's now, you know, brands are starting to go to micro influencers because that has taken too much of the fraud era of influencer technology that's right and branding so it's it's all funneling down well we're <laughs> seeing we're seeing 70 percent um, of social traffic at this point coming from bots 70 percent and that that figure is not going to be quashed anytime soon so um well, look do, do you think the social sites facebook they don't want that number to go away, right? It would drop their their amount of users or data that they're able to aggregate. It would, and if you're billing uh, mm -hmm. based on those metrics, that's that's a problem. I think um, use of tools, um, not just social listening, but tools that can actually uh, provide insight on who's a true human influencer and 
how are the bots actually working? Because you can use the bots for your advan- to your advantage um, just as easily as you can allow them to har- harm your business. So um, it's a strategic game. And the question is, do you have the information you need to make the right decisions? Um, and that generally involves um, you know, subscription to a provider that has access to the right data. Um, I would say nine, to- nine times out of 10, it's worth the investment because it really helps to eliminate a lot of the garbage. Um, all the catchphrases that come out of Silicon Valley, my favorite is garbage, garbage in, garbage out. Um, and I'm sure working in the programmatic space, you know that a clean first party data set overlaid on what you're doing just makes the whole system sing. Um, so if we can get more brands to get their houses in order, not just from a compliance standpoint, but to have them understand not only does this lower your operational costs, reduce your waste, it makes your media just sing. Yeah. Across the board, you need to do that, unfortunately. And yep. that's difficult. That's why you need, right now, you need humans to do that. That's right. <laughs> and that's what you're doing to teach these uh, these kids and coming out of you know high school. I know that they're very, uh, I mean, what are you seeing as far as you're, you're working with, you know, I say kids, but and now Gen Zers are entering in within um, you know, the buying space and they're becoming consumers and purchasing things. I mean, what's the difference between the way their minds work because they've always experienced this digital age? Is there an aptitude to it that they are more, you know, accustomed or they understand this stuff better than maybe myself or somebody? I mean, I know that's a tough question to ask because you deal with a lot of different kids, but. Um. They're, I would say that they're less skeptical of the influence of technology. When you talk to people in Gen X, um, the ultimate paranoia, I believe, exists in Gen X. Is this actually working? Is it valid? Um, the younger generations, I think, are less, skepti- less skeptical about the influence. Um, they are more skepti- skeptical about the humans involved in the influence. So they ask a lot of really difficult questions about ethics um, and about who's actually making the decisions. Um, I had a really intense conversation in class a couple of years ago um, when we were talking about content online and several major brands had completely abandoned YouTube because they couldn't control their content. And so a lot of brand messaging was showing up, you know, alongside white supremacist videos mm-hmm. and, and whatnot, and entered into a conversation about what is inappropriate content, who makes that decision. And one of my students said, you know, I took a trip over spring break, and I basically blogged about the trip. I had Facebook stories running, Instagram, like just wall-to-wall content about this trip. And she said, I posted a picture of myself in a bathing suit. And my friends responded with compliments. But those compliments to an algorithm, because they included profanity, would likely have been deemed inappropriate, but they weren't in my social circle. And so she said, I don't want my any of the content associated with my vacation taken down 
as inappropriate because it contained curse words. So if you simply scrubbed for profanity, she said that's, that's a cultural thing. And if there's somebody sitting in a room saying anytime you, you curse, it's inappropriate and content should be removed, she said, I, think, I don't think that's okay. And the entire class erupted into a question of what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, the social police, um, you know, who's making those decisions. And they're really tough questions to answer. They really, really are. Um, this, I mean, that's, that sounds like an amazing class. I wish I was sitting in that class to just see what the re- response was from um, these, you know, Gen Zers who are, they've been immersed in it their whole lives. And I think you're right. I think there is a, a sense of we, this has always been there. Um, we're being targeted and getting ads that are very tailored to us, which is so different for, you know, our generations because we always dealt with just the multiple big brand awareness that's like, okay, well, this doesn't apply to me, like this this commercial. That's <laughs> but right. now we're, we're being, I think they're okay with that. Um, but yeah, no, I think there's definitely a, a, a very big instance where it's just, it's insane that there's kids like talking about that stuff. Um, yeah, I guess what I would ask too is, is you know, what, what were their response typically with that? You know, like who is the person who should, rule this is it Zuckerberg is it you know like are they blaming a certain person or is it you know, I don't know like what what is the response to that I think it was it was interesting to point out that most people follow uh, the mob mentality mm-hmm. right uh, someone else would take will take care of this or should take care of this you know if um, if someone is being harmed and there are a hundred people standing around, no one does anything. And then afterwards you ask, there were a hundred people there. Why did no one step forward to help this person? And it's because there's, there is that mob mentality that when there are that many people involved, someone else will take care of it. Um, and I encourage them to never use the phrase, well, someone should do something. Who is that someone? That's a nebulous answer. If it's going to be changed, you need to do it, right? And if not you specifically, how can you contribute to finding a solution? Saying there's a problem, acknowledging it is a first step, but it's not the end of the conversation. If you, if this is really important to you, what can you do to help? change it to help solve the problem to to drive the conversation and um, that's tough especially for the younger generation because they haven't been out on their own and they've been protected to a certain extent by parents and 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 teachers and you know to say you have to be the change you want to see in the world you know let's get cliche about it yeah we didn't do Um, the job but you guys could do it that's right (laughs) um progress has to start somewhere and so we need leaders, and those leaders are not just people that understand the analytics. They're people with soft skills also. And that's, that's kind of the aha for a lot of business leaders right now. Like, we can have analysts, we can have data scientists all day long, but if we don't have people with soft skills that can inject that humanity in it, there's no point. So that's what, we're, that's what we look for in... Um, in guiding brand leaders and certainly what I 
try to instill with my students to go ahead and be those leaders. We need good people, um, ethical people working in the space. Yeah. And not always on your phone on Instagram, (laughs) which I know is always, that's becoming the downfall of society, apparently. (laughs) Apparently. Uh, But for as much of that as there is, it is really inspiring to work with young people and see there are a lot of highly engaged uh, people with uh, great passion for making the world better. And that's pretty outstanding. Yeah, more than ever. I think they've grown up in it, which is, you know, I think that's been the theme in the past 15, 20 years, um, whether it's climate change or data, uh, privacy and all that stuff. There's definitely a call, um, a, a cry out there for people. Uh, well, Tracy, it's been great talking. Honestly, you gave us so, so much information. Do you have anything else to add with just brands and, you know, obviously brain trust, uh, who you work with and, and just anything you'd like to add as far as people out there who are trying to navigate this space, <laughs> you asked, you said, ask a lot of questions, which is great. Um, you could probably leave it at that, but if you have any other recommendations for anybody when they're trying to find providers or partners. Ask the right with. questions. Yeah. Uh, I would, I guess my best piece of advice, well, let me back up and say, I spent the past nearly 25 years in the advertising agency world, and it was wonderful. I wouldn't trade a second of it, um, but I left that world because of data and how it's changing what we do from a communication standpoint. I wanted to be more hands-on to helping to build infrastructure of the future for brands. So my biggest piece of advice um, for anyone working, anyone in business um, or anyone looking to study um, business is to not only ask questions but ask the right questions and be agnostic in how you find solutions. Work to find the best solution. Um, be hesitant if someone comes into the room and says, this is our prescription for success because there's so many different ways to be successful and so many different factors that prescriptions don't work. So one size fits all is a dangerous thing. So in seeking solutions, seek advisors and and seek consultants and and mentors that are truly agnostic and consider all the factors um, because it's never as easy as people think it is. And that's what led me to brain trust um, versus some other potential employers that that had um, interest in in the data infrastructure space um, because that agnostic point of view to me is um, the best possible solution. It's great advice. I mean, for even life. (laughs) Just don't always trust the same source over and over again. Uh, Well, thanks for joining us here on The Q, Tracy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media. Q1 Media partners with agencies and brands all across the nation for all of their digital marketing needs, whether it's CTV, OTT, location-based mobile device ID targeting, search engine marketing, targeted display, research and data that you might need for your clients, whatever it is, Q1 Media can help with all your marketing efforts. Uh, so yeah, please check out Q1 Media's website at q1media.com. That's q1media.com and you can view case studies, examples of our work, or even check out episodes of The Q, the podcast, conversations in digital media. Thank you for listening. 